You're now at the British Museum. The Reading Rooms collection has been removed to the British Library, and unfortunately, the room itself is no longer open to the public. However, its famous round structure is still at the center of the museum, and its front door is labeled. Head straight into the museum's great court, on the ground floor, and you can't miss it. As you've already heard, the British Museum's reading room was extremely important to Marx and his work. Diana Siklovin, whom I met at the British Library, provides some historical background to this remarkable and unique London institution. So the British Museum Reading Room was located in the British Museum on Great Russell Street in Bloomsbury. It was nowhere near St Pancras where the British Library is now. So the building we're in today was opened in 1998 and while some of the material the British Library holds is the same that Karl Marx would have had access to in the British Museum, um, the British Museum Library had been established at the same time as the British Museum in 1753 and it was quite a unique institution for the time in that it was truly for the public. Anyone could, in theory, get access to its collection. In order to use the reading room, they had to write to the director of the library and explain why they wanted to use it, what their research was about, and supply a letter of recommendation. So while there was this barrier and not everyone was allowed entry, the use of the reading room was completely free of charge and so it was open to a wide range of people. The famous round reading room, the rotunda with the glass dome ceiling, was actually opened in 1857, so a few years after Marx arrived in London and began going to the British Museum. So initially he would have used a smaller and less impressive reading room for the first couple of years. The British Museum reading room remained open until 1997, when its books, together with the holdings from some other libraries in the UK, were all transferred to St Pancras, the newly established British Library. The old reading room was subsequently for a couple of years used as a visitor centre and an exhibition space, but it closed in 2013 and right now we don't know what's going to happen with it in the future. By the time Marx arrived in London, the reading room had a friendly, open and strikingly egalitarian reputation and social atmosphere. The British Museum reading room was a really unique institution in 19th century London mostly because it allowed people to get together who would otherwise never have found themselves in the same room. For example, rich and poor people worked side by side. And this was commented upon quite a lot in the contemporary media, actually. Some people complained that people in the reading room smelled bad, behaved in strange ways, or fell asleep a lot. But we have to remember that for many it was indeed a much more comfortable environment than their home if they had a home at all, as one contemporary remarked. It was also a place where men and women could mix freely. Quite uncommon for the Victorian era. Women were admitted from the very start, and while originally certain desks were reserved for so-called lady readers, in practice this rule was soon ignored and men and women just worked side by side. The reading room therefore also had a reputation as a place of flirtation and seduction, and Marx's daughter Eleanor met her partner Edward Aveling in the reading room here. It was generally a very social place and it was easy to meet like-minded people. Because of its open architecture, it was easy to spot familiar faces and to approach them. Many people, like Marx, came there every day, so one could be quite strategic about approaching well-known characters there. In Marx's time, the reading was already the place to be for writers, intellectuals, activists. And so people who would have been around in the same time would have included Arthur Conan Doyle, Bram Stoker, Oscar Wilde, George Eliot, to name just a few. 
With such a place nearly at his doorstep, Marx became an early and frequent reader at the museum. As soon as Marx had settled in London, he began coming to the British Museum reading room. We know that he got his first reader ticket in June 1850. There were several reasons why it was an ideal place for him, really. First of all, it was free to use and open to the public. Marx was a scholar, he held a PhD, but he had no university position, so in many other situations, this would have precluded him from doing the kind of research he was able to do at the British Museum. Another major reason why it was a very attractive place for Marx was its truly universal collection. It contained books on all kinds of subjects from all disciplines. And like the British Library today, the British Museum Library in Marx's time already had legal deposit rights, which means that it was entitled to receive a copy of every single book published in the country. And this really suited Marx's very interdisciplinary research interests. And finally, it was also very easily accessible to him geographically. His family's first flat in London was in Soho, so it was only a short walk over to Great Russell Street, where Marx very soon started coming on a daily basis. Marx's use of the collection was remarkably wide, both in the sense of the range of material that he consulted, and how and with whom he spent his time there. When Marx first came to London, his main interest was economic theory. He had spent quite some time in the mid-1840s reading the works of famous political economists, but these studies were interrupted by his growing political activism in the years leading up to the 1848 revolution and then the need to build a new life in exile. So he was very keen to resume his studies in that area, and economics is what he focused on during the first few months and years of his time in the British Museum. But Marx quickly concluded that all existing economic theory was deficient and that he had to develop his own economic theory that was grounded in empirical evidence. And for that, he began to consult an extremely broad range of material in the British Museum, from government debates and legislation to economic reports, historical pamphlets, factory inspection reports, statistical data, all kinds of newspapers, material from all over the world really, anything that gave him an insight into how capitalism works in the modern world. He used all this material he found in the British Museum in a very new and original way. And I think we can see that in Capital, his book that was published in 1867, and which was the major culmination of his studies in the British Museum in the 1850s and 60s. Also, with anything Marx wrote or researched, he was extremely thorough and liked completeness. He didn't really like to rely on second-hand accounts and preferred to go back to the source to verify any information he had encountered. And for that reason, he would have called up all kinds of pretty obscure works from all sorts of disciplines in the reading room. Interestingly, we also know that Marx used the library not just for his academic and journalistic work, but also in a more personal capacity. For example, he read all the latest medical literature on the health condition he was suffering from and apparently became more knowledgeable about it than his doctor. And there's also an occasion where Friedrich Engels complained to Marx about some health problems he was experiencing and Marx rushed to the library to look up all the material he could find on the subject and try and help his friend. Marx came to the British Museum reading room as often as he could really, basically whenever it was open, so Mondays to Saturdays, 9am to 7pm, and he would often continue working in his study at home after the library closed, writing up what he had read at the museum that day. Marx used to have bursts of extreme productivity when he would get hardly any sleep, spend all his time working, only to then collapse and become ill. Actually one of the few things that could keep Marx away from the library was bad health. 
and on several occasions he complained in letters to his friends that he was too sick to go to the British Museum and how unhappy he was about that. But it wasn't just the desire to work that made Marx go to the British Museum with such frequency and regularity. In many ways it was a place of refuge for him as well. He lived in quite shabby conditions and the museum was a much cleaner, warmer and more orderly place than his own home. And it was also somewhere where he could hide from all sorts of domestic problems. Things were quite rough for his family, especially in the first few years in London. Marx even admitted in letters to his friends that he used to escape to the museum when he was having bad arguments with his wife, whether it was about their financial problems or his infidelity. The reading room also played an important social role for Marx. Um, he used to have lunch, tea or smoking breaks with his friends and collaborators there. And he also encouraged everyone he worked with to accompany him there. Wilhelm Liebknecht, one of the founders of the German Social Democratic Party, for instance, writes how Marx essentially forced him and other German refugees in London to come study in a reading room every day. Um, what's also interesting is that as his three daughters, Jenny, Laura and Eleanor, grew older, so when they were teenagers, Marx started to take them along to the British Museum. And they were basically his research assistants, helping him transcribe notes or look at material for him. And Eleanor, his youngest daughter, eventually became a regular reader herself and, like her father, went to the reading room almost every day. As to where Marx used to sit in the reading, we don't actually know whether he had a favorite seat. He probably liked to be next to the history reference section in rows K to P, but we have no evidence that he actually preferred one seat in particular. Carl and Eleanor Marx, both being avid users of the reading room's collection, left behind several fascinating artifacts now held at the British Library. The British Library today still holds many interesting documents related to Marx's life and his studies at the British Museum. For example, we have an extremely rare first edition of the Communist Manifesto. We also have a copy of Capital from 1872, the second German edition, which Marx himself actually gave to the British Museum Library. Unfortunately, he left no inscription or dedication, so it looks just like any other copy from the time, but we know that it was a donation from Marx. We also have in our manuscript collection an index slip with Marx's name and signature, confirming the issue of a reader pass to him in 1873. There are also several correspondences, for example, Marx's letters to Karl Blind, who was also a radical German refugee in London, and he helped Marx's family quite a lot when they first arrived here. One of the things that is actually on permanent display in the British Library's Treasures Gallery, alongside Magna Carta or Da Vinci's notebooks, is a letter by Marx to Nikolai Danielson, the Russian translator of Capital, where Marx inquires about the political opinion in Russia at the time. It's also worth mentioning the library holds quite a lot of material about Marx's youngest daughter, Eleanor, who was very involved in London's activist and literary scenes in the late 19th century, and so letters from her can be found among the papers of many politicians, intellectuals, or other important public figures from the time. We have a letter that Eleanor wrote to the head of the British Museum Library to apply for her own reader ticket when she was old enough, yet to be 21, and instead of including a letter of recommendation, as was customary, she simply writes, It will suffice to say that my father, Dr. Karl Marx, visited the reading room daily for nearly 30 years. And indeed, that was enough to gain her admission to the reading room. You now have two options for continuing the tour. 
You can either head to Maitland Park Road, where Marx lived out his last years, and where there is a plaque marking the site of the house that he died in, or you can head straight to Highgate Cemetery, where several members of the Marx family are buried together under a large memorial. If you'd prefer to go to Maitland Park Road, head back the way that you came and get on the tube at Tottenham Court Road Station. Take a Northern Line train towards Edgware and get off at Chalk Farm. When you come out of the station at Chalk Farm, turn left on Haverstock Hill. Take the first right onto Prince of Wales Road and then an immediate left onto Maitland Park Road. Bear right to stay on Maitland Park Road, making sure not to veer onto Maitland Park Villas and head to the cul-de-sac at the end of the road. The addresses and the buildings in this neighborhood have changed since Marx lived here, and Marx lived in several houses in this area, not all of which still exist. He moved from Grafton Terrace to Modena Villas in 1864, and then from Medina Villas to Maitland Park Road in 1875. But at the end of Maitland Park Road, you will see a row of houses on the cul-de-sac with a red plaque put up by Camden Council saying, Karl Marx, 1818 to 1883, philosopher, lived and died in a house on this site, 1875 to 1883. If you'd prefer to go straight to Highgate Cemetery, take a Northern Line train from Tottenham Court Road Station towards either High Barnet or Mill Hill East and get off at Archway Station. From there, you can take a 143 or 210 bus to Bishop Gardens, or you can take a 271 bus to South Grove. When you get off, walk down either Bishop Gardens or South Grove and take a left on Swain's Lane. The entrance to Highgate Cemetery will be on your left. When you pay for entrance, you can ask for directions to Marx's grave, though it isn't too difficult to find. As you head up to the cemetery, please still listen to the next track, which will discuss Marx's later life. <laughs>